Hi there. Welcome to Lake Ridge Community Church Podcast. And this is a place where we get to share uh, some of our messages from Sunday mornings. Uh, we're glad that you're here to listen, but we'd also love to have you in person. So if you'd like to pop in some Sunday, we meet at 1030 at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. And uh, you can obviously check us out as well at uh, www.lakeridgecommunity.com. Thanks for listening. so good to be back here. Uh, I've been preaching from my like bedroom. I've preached from my backyard. I've preached from my basement. I've preached from all the rooms in my house actually. And now it's good to be back and be uh, with you all, all here in spite of all of these uh, ch- challenges. And we're trying to figure out ways of, uh, of being with each other. And one way we did that was through a rocket derby. Was anybody at the rocket derby over, over the weekend? Yeah, that was a real blast, wasn't it? Um, I promise I won't do any more of those. Uh, no, it was, it was super, super good. We had 38 kids register for it, and a bunch of people from the community came, came out, and, and it was really, really a good, good time. And uh, so we haven't decided if, if we're doing it again, but, uh, but, but oh yeah, I'm seeing, I'm seeing some pleases and thumbs up over there from some of our from some of our rocketeers, so it was it was really really uh, good good for us to be doing that together. One of the reasons why we do these things in our neighborhoods and for our kids and for our community is because we are for Chestermere. We are for our city, and this is our new theme for the next uh, few weeks: is talking about what it is to be for Chestermere. Why do we talk about this about being for Chestermere? Well, Lake Ridge Community Church, the mission of God. It has an orientation, and the orientation is a three-letter word, F-O-R. That's what the mission of God is. It is for. God is for Chestermere. God is for people here. God is for their maturity, for their peace, for their thriving, for their well-being, for their relationships with God and with others. So we are going to do a deep dive into what it is that God would be for our city and for us. Dostoevsky, uh, a author, a Russian author, said some smart things. And one of the things he said was, the secret of man's being is not only to live, but to have something to live for. The secret of man's being is not only to live, but to have something to live for. What do you have to live for? This pandemic, I think, has caused a lot of us to ask some of those big questions, hasn't it? Those existential questions, those questions that get us thinking about who we are and what we are about. Sometimes when you strip away a whole bunch of things in our lives, we are, we are down to the bare basics of things. And we have to ask some of those questions. And Dostoevsky, I think, captures this journey by saying that we, that we cannot just live, that we have to have something to live for so that our living becomes life for us. We want our life to be life for us. And God gave us this life, not just so that we can uh, breathe in and breathe out a bunch of times and then be done breathing, but so that we breathe in and breathe in the Spirit of God so we can join in what God's doing and live for the things that God is living for. Now you, like me, might have experimented with your life to try to be for some other things. Test out a little bit of being for maybe myself for a while. Maybe I'm for buying that thing and spend years of my life 
of my energy, of this breath that God gave me just to buy a thing that ends up sitting there. (laughs) Maybe I'm for this pursuit or that group or whatever, and along the way we are learning, and I think this pandemic has paused us to say, why are we for the things God is for, and what is God for in a world where we experience things stripped away like this? This fall, it's been clear, or this fall, we are being clear that God is for Chestamere and God is for us. And when we do so, we, become, we come alongside and discover that we also have an orientation too. We, because of God and with God, can turn and be for Chestamere and for others too. Why for Chestamere? Why not for Canada or for your place of work or for my coworkers or for my family? And I think as we go through this journey, you're going to discover that God is for all of those things. But I think by saying for Chestamere, we are putting a fine point on what God is for. This isn't for world peace, something we can't touch and then don't have to think about, right? Something way out there. When you think of Chestamere, can all of you point at Chestamere for just a second? You're all pointing in different directions, right? Here, there, over there, over there, over there, over there. No matter where you step over the next 20 minutes, you're going to be stepping in Chestamere, right? Can you point to where God's spirit is also? There we go. Look, lots of fingers pointing in different directions. God is here among us, working among us. So when we say we are for Chestamere, we are discovering this kind of realness to our faith. This kind of tangible, hands-on, God is present here among and with us. God is on our side working in us and everyone we meet. It is happening here. Where do you place your faith? I sometimes grew up placing my faith somehow in the clouds. I don't know why. I had these Bibles that had lots of pictures of God in the clouds. And I couldn't quite imagine that God would be with me in my school or with the people around me. God was always, always somewhere out in the way. The good news of the incarnation of Jesus is God is with us and he's for us here. So in this series, we are going to be looking at the life of Jesus primarily taking a look at the places and people that Jesus was for. And from these stories, I think we'll get a sense of what it means to be for those things and places and people that God is for. You know, places are like sandpaper. They kind of shape us. Have you ever been shaped by a place? Living somewhere? That's why whenever Evan just moved from his house to another house, and I was over there taking apart one of their beds there, it was Ikea, and so there was like a million of these little things to, to take, take apart. And uh, we were bonding uh, there over an Ikea bed. And I just realized that that home shaped them for years and years. I think that that was the longest home you've, you've lived in as a family, right? It shaped you. Your home shapes you. Everything we do shapes us. And our places shape us too. The Bible has 3,000 name places that set the story of God in real places and times. Sometimes we disconnect from the real world and our faith, but that's not the way of the Bible. The Bible is all about connectional faith to real world and real places. God is at work here in a gym. Look at this place. This is absurd, isn't it? We are sitting in a gym on a Sunday morning. I just want to name that because that is the weirdest thing that a group of people can do, right? Did you know that God is here during a pandemic? That's pretty absurd. There's a pandemic going on. God's there. Did you know God's waiting in line at no frills too? He's over there. God's out on the lake. 
God's in your basement. I know, right? I, I just got to look like, what? I better clean up my basement, right? Was, I'm sure that that's what, what you were thinking. No. God is present in this world, all the places, real places, a real God and real people and real neighbors. So God is for Chestermere. This is what we are going to explore. This morning, we are going to take a look at a place that was close to the heart of God. Uh, it was a place where Jesus grew up. It's a place where Jesus spent most of his time, and it's not mentioned very much in the Bible, but it's a town called Nazareth. It's one of the first places where we get a sense that God is for this place. It was the place where uh, Jesus grew up when he was very young. He was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up for all of his years, 30-some years, in Nazareth. This is his hometown. This is where he put down roots, where he knew the neighbors. But right out of the gate, sorry Jesus, but this was a bad PR choice. There were richer, stronger, better faster, more advanced, cooler towns that the king of the universe could have come to than Nazareth. I'm going to just lay out for you how, how poor this of a choice it was for Jesus and what this meant for Jesus being for a place. Well, Nazareth doesn't appear in the Old Testament. It's not named anywhere. It's so insignificant that it's not even worth a mention. No good prophet came from there. No one famous came from Nazareth, ever. Nazareth was in this region called Galilee, but it wasn't even close to the lake. It's like where I live. People are like, you live in Chestermere. You, oh, you live on the lake. I go, no, I'm like a kilometer away from, from, from the lake. They were nowhere close. In fact, there were several hills and valleys to the west of the Sea of Galilee. And then there was this bowl. Picture a bowl uh, of a natural formation where there was hills all the way around it, and in the bottom of this little bowl was a little village called Nazareth. It was tucked away from the world. It's a little nest. It was not on a main highway. It was off the beaten trail. It wasn't particularly fertile, but not really barren. Really nothing to write home about was this little village called Nazareth. You cannot see into it from the highway. You cannot see out to the world. This is where Jesus grew up. Nazareth is isolated culturally from the world. It was Jewish, and it didn't likely change much over hundreds of years, as new fads and ideas would pass by without anyone in Nazareth even knowing. Nazareth was profoundly Jewish, and it did not want what the world was offering. And most of the world was happy to pass right over it. Nazareth had some farmers and some craftsmen, and they would sometimes work on local stone projects. So we think of Jesus as a carpenter, but some of the language would imply that he was somebody who worked with stone. There was a little quarry there, and they would cut stones. You can imagine. And Jesus talked, told a lot of stone stories, right? Uh, the stone that the builder rejected became the chief cornerstone. And he told farmer stories. Why? Because he grew up in a place where they were probably cutting stone and doing farming. He just told stories from his hometown. It was small. There was about four acres where people lived, about 300 people. Some new research says it might have been as high as 400 people. This was like Galician level, right? This is little. Nazareth was the brunt of jokes when mentioned. No one saw it as part of God's plan. So when people heard about a Messiah coming from Nazareth, they scoffed. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? A guy named Nathaniel said that when he heard that, that there was this Messiah in Nazareth. He said, can anything good come from there? Well, Nathaniel was from Cana, a town nearby. The joke's on both of them. It's like somebody's from Strathmore saying, can anything good come from Cars Land, right? Both of them. It's like, you're both in some podunk towns. How are you talking about each other like this, you know? 
So Nathaniel's saying this, but here's the interesting thing. They're both from these backwater towns, but get this, Nathaniel would come to follow Jesus and be one of his 12 disciples. And Jesus, we would see, is somebody very, very special. So Jesus, when he saw Nathaniel, he said, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Nathaniel would confess that Jesus is the Son of God and the King of Israel. And Nathaniel wasn't alone. He wasn't alone. Other people came to follow him. But everyone was skeptical that something wise or good could come from Galilee, from this little nothing of a village. Even when they hung Jesus on the cross, it said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Some people wonder what they were more offended by. A king of the Jews or that he came from Nazareth, right? And they scoffed at it. They said, take that sign down. And he goes, I'm leaving it up there. It was offensive to be from Nazareth. Anything, nothing good can come from there. They were livid. He grew up in Nazareth. And Matthew says that this fulfills what the prophet said. That the Messiah would be the small town boy. Someone who came from a humble place. Isaiah 53, 2-3 points to this idea. It says or that we should find a Messiah in places that were more despised than celebrated. Among the least and not the greatest. It says this in Isaiah. He grew up before him like a tender shoot. Like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty, majesty to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one whom people hid their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. The author Jack Beck, he says this. He says, Jesus of Nazareth fits the expectation of the Old Testament prophets. Jesus' association with Nazareth further confirms his claim of the title of Messiah, our Savior. He came from the lowliest and least esteemed place. And he was there the entire time, right under their noses. In Nazareth, when he grows up, you can kind of imagine him. In Nazareth now, it's a sprawling city. It's actually turned into a pretty major hub. And there's like apartment buildings. And you can, when you come over the hill into Nazareth, it's just buildings everywhere. But they preserved one little patch of it, literally like the size of this gym. It isn't much, much bigger, maybe the size of this school. And they've recreated a Nazareth village there. And you can go and walk through it and, and experience it. There's farmers there. And it's kind of funny because there's apartment buildings around it as they're trying to preserve for people to see what it would have looked like there. And there was not much to it. It was hands-on work. No internet at all. In Nazareth, we imagine what he was shaped by his family as he grows up with his mom and his dad and his brothers and sisters. But even his own town rejects him. You see, they see themselves in Nazareth so lowly, so outside of God's work, that when Jesus steps on the scene, and, well, here, Matthew 13 tells it like this. It says, Jesus returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and says, where did he get this wisdom and power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. We know Mary, they're pointing at him, and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his own family. In another version, in the book of Luke, they were so incised when he reads from, when he reads from the prophets and he says, 
And he points out and he says, this has come true. Essentially saying, I am the Messiah. I am the one who fulfills this. They went and they wanted to push him off the cliff over the edge. Wanted to dump him off of the edge. Someone pasted out from Nazareth to the edge. And if this was on a Sabbath, if they were reading from Scripture, which is what they do from Sabbath, you can't walk very far on the Sabbath. So they think the reason why Jesus wasn't pushed off is because they walked their limited amount of feet and then just couldn't go any further. And so Jesus just took one step further and said, people, people actually think that that's how it, how it happened because they couldn't walk far enough to actually throw him off. Here they were, these people who right before them had Jesus. He grew up with them, but they could not imagine a scenario. Their imaginations couldn't imagine a scenario where God would so love them that all that the prophets said that they would read a day after day about what is true about God, they just did not believe that was true about them. That in their midst, God is there. Jesus was present. He's been loving them in the ordinary stuff of life. So when Jesus says, this is true, God has come. They're like, get him out of here. You can't believe it. What do you think? Do you believe that all God says about you is true? If you've grown up in the church, you've been reading and hearing these stories. We sing the songs about it. It's true you are loved. It's true that all the fullness of the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. It's true that you can love and you'll always have enough love to love again. This is all what's true about you. I like this. Satan knows your name, but calls you by your sin. But God knows your sin and calls you by your name. I like that. Satan knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. But God knows your sin and calls you by your name. What is true about you is, that, is what God says over you, and that's that you are loved and you play a part in God's redemptive work in the world. You are his hands and feet in the world. You don't just breathe a bunch of times and then stop breathing. You are participating in the things that God is for. This is what Jesus did. He stood up in the synagogue in Nazareth and effectively said, God sees you. The promises of God through Isaiah are true about you. You are free of your sin. A new day is here. The Messiah has come. I am here. Jesus was for them and reminded them that God was for them, but they rejected Jesus and God. That was the response of Nazareth. What if I said, God's spirit was at work in Chestermere? Would you scoff? You say, Phew. You haven't been around Chestermere. You haven't been on I Love Chestermere anytime soon. God's spirit ain't nowhere on that little website, right? You would know it. Maybe you've stood in line somewhere and somebody's being mean to you or something's going wrong. You're like, no, no, no. God's, some, God's for some place, but he ain't for here, right? This is Chestermere. I switched. Switch gears. Let's put Nazareth on a shelf. Not far from Nazareth, short walk, is a village, the village that this Nathaniel guy came from. You remember Nathaniel? The guy said, can anything good come from Nazareth? He ends up following Jesus, but they go to his town, his town of Cana. The story unfolds differently here. You see, there's a secret. Jesus was for Nazareth, but he was for a second place. He's for Cana. The story unfolds, we're going to learn secret. He's for, like, all the places, but they're just discovering this. So Jesus shows up at Cana, and it gets interesting. 
Jesus is invited to a wedding there where he turns water into wine. This is his first public miracle, and it's really fitting. He's preparing to tell people about the coming kingdom of God, and he would compare the kingdom of God to like a groom and a bride, and he'd use all this imagery, and he'd talk about a celebration and a wedding, and here he intervenes at a wedding that runs out of joy juice, runs out of wine. They don't have any more. And here's Jesus. He makes more out of the water that they used to like wash their hands, and he turns it into these this wonderful celebration. Weird, awkward, absurd. Here he is, his first move. You see, Jesus was for the couple at the wedding. He was for all the people at the wedding. He was for Nathaniel's friends at the wedding. He was for these people. And I love that his first move was to fix a wedding that wasn't going so hot. I love that. I love weddings. Another time, in the same place in Cana, He healed a government official's boy, and this is how it goes. It says, he traveled through Galilee, and he came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. So he was known for for this. There was a government official in nearby Capernaum, whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea uh, to Galilee, he went and he begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son, who was about to die. Jesus asked, Will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Maybe he's thinking about Nazareth here, right? Maybe he's thinking, will you not believe in me unless you see me do all sorts of things? Here I've been among you. The official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Then Jesus told him, go back home, your son lives. The man believed what Jesus said, and he started home. Listen to this. In Cana, this guy is believing. He believes. He takes Jesus at his word about what he says. When the man was on his way, some of his servants came and met him with the news that his son was alive and well. And he asked them when the boy began to get better. And he replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that was the very time Jesus told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This guy from another town. Now we are seeing Jesus is in Cana but it's spilling over. Jesus is for this guy in Capernaum. Another walk over here, and this this idea is spreading, and people are like, Jesus is for us, and I believe. Imagine the joy of these people. Jesus was for Cana. He celebrated a wedding. He He brought life where there was imminent death. One town is rejecting. Another one is accepting. One attempts to do harm to Jesus, throwing him off a cliff, for goodness sake. And the other one is overjoyed that Jesus came. When Jesus is for a place, that place has a chance to respond by rejecting or accepting. Jesus does not force his presence. He's not looking for experts. Jesus is looking for people like Mary and Nathaniel and that wedding planner and that government official to simply say yes to Jesus, to accept that Jesus is fundamentally for them. The nature, the natural response is this, celebration. I like this. It's the most mature thing we can do when we experience God is to celebrate. When we see God, it's to celebrate. You see, cynics and skeptics, have you met a few of them over the last little while? Anyway, cynics and skeptics, they will grump. 
But those who are mature jump at the sight of God's presence and they point at it and they say, this is good. We celebrate this. Nazareth had one response, Cana had another response. God was for both of them and they each went a different way. When we jump at what God is doing, we are enjoying the fruit of the Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. It is. When God's Spirit is in you and moving in you and you agree to say yes to what God is doing, you experience joy. That's a fruit. You get to chew on that. Enjoy the juiciness of it. Be full of joy. It's a sign of growth in Jesus. Walter Thiessen, an author in New Brunswick, he says this, Perhaps more than anything else, those who are approaching wholeness can be spotted by their ability to celebrate the fullness of life, even when suffering, hardship, or facing challenges. I'm going to say that again. Perhaps more than anything else, those who are approaching wholeness can be spotted by their ability to celebrate the fullness of life, even while suffering hardships or facing challenges. Are we facing a hardship or a challenge? I am. This, isn't, this ain't no, no fun. I'm a leader, so I have to smile sometimes when I don't want to. I have to say it's going to be okay when I don't always know that it, that, that it is or which way is up or which way is down. But guess what? Those who are approaching wholeness, we can celebrate. We can point at things and say, that is at least a good thing. There's something good. I see God over there. Celebration represents the rightness of engaging with and responding to the world and each other with gratitude and affirmation. I am grateful for this community. I'm grateful for Chestermere. I'm grateful for each of you. I'm grateful for who you are becoming in the midst of this. I affirm that. I affirm that God is at work in you. God is for you and your home and you are not alone. When we realize that God is for our city, we can first accept and welcome Jesus' presence in our midst. We can see it. We can spot it. We can say Jesus is at work. We can recognize it. Secondly, we celebrate it. We stand in awe of it and we cheer it on. This is hard, but God is here. When we choose to celebrate, or what we choose to celebrate is crucial, because celebrating is one of the ways that we declare what we believe, and it helps orient us. We, are, we become what we celebrate. The cynics and the grumps, they aren't the ones that are going to get us through. The people from Nazareth who don't believe that God will ever be a present among them, they aren't the ones that are going to see God and enjoy his presence. But the people in Cana, people with, a, with some really awful wine in one hand going, what is going on here? There's something. Somebody's even being brought back to life. What we are choosing to celebrate, to focus on, to lift up for God's care and redemption. If we celebrate with a couple at a wedding, or some kids launching off rockets in a park, if we celebrate when somebody's learning to ride their bike, or a neighbor who just got a job after not having one for a while, we become like Jesus in each of those stories. We are full, we are for Chestermere, with all the flags out. We are for Chestermere with trumpets blazing because God works here. And you know what? I never want to miss that God is at work here. I never want to get to the end of whatever my life looks like and be like the guys from Nazareth who missed it all. That God's spirit was present here and we just couldn't believe that God would come and do something beautiful here in wee little Chestermere. I, for one, 
believe God loves this place and God is going to do something in this place and all the hardship and difficulty we are dealing with is just setting God up for him to do something wonderful in us and among us and we are here to celebrate it and spot it and point it out and say God is at work there, there, there and there and this is good and we don't have to be smart enough, strong enough, anything. We just have to be grateful and have gratitude and affirm it whenever we see it. That is our call, right? My friends, God is for Chestermere, and we have everything we need to participate in the life of God at work here. Pandemic or no pandemic? Are we Nazareth or Cana? Are we saying, Jesus, I can't believe that you're working here. Get out of here. We're going to go back to our, to our little thing and wait on God. <laughs> are we Naz- or are we Cana? who's trying to throw a really crappy wedding, and Jesus comes and says, let's spice this party up a little bit. Friends, we are going to be those who say yes to Jesus. And guess what? Jesus is more than happy to step in when we say yes to him. And he is more than happy to step in and kick off a celebration here. We can be for Chestmere when we accept that Jesus is for us. Jesus is for us. That's how it begins. We can't tell Chestermere that God is for them until we know that Jesus is for us. So I want you to point at you for a second. We point to that Jesus is in Chestermere and every step you take, you're in Chestermere and every step you take is a place where Jesus is, but if you point at yourself, you know that Jesus is here with you. And we, like Nathaniel, might say, can anything good happen here? Can anything good happen in Chestermere? And Jesus is like, you watch what good I can do there. There's a lot of places aren't so happy when I move into town. But Chestermere, I got word through the grapevine that you've heard that I'm for you. Jesus is standing by and saying, I heard that you are interested in having me move in your city. That you're you're interested in trusting me with the crazy pandemic and all the fallout. Not too many people are, but you are. And you know what? I say yes to you then. I'm for you. Watch me. Trust me. Be grateful when you see me. Point me out when you see me at at work. That's all I need. And I got you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that from the beginning of the world, you were for us. You created a world for us to live in with everything we needed, air to breathe, water and food and all that. And you said, I am for you. You are good. I made you to live in this place and thrive. But Lord, we feel sometimes like the world around us just is not for us. Things are pushing against us. The headwinds are too strong. So thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, who knows how to stand in the headwinds of this world And be for us when we can't be for ourselves. The one who heals us when we can't be healed. The one who throws a party when our party is looking pretty dreary. You are for us. So today, Lord, on behalf of everyone here, I say yes. We want you. We need you. Come. We say yes to you, not like Nazareth, but like Cana. We say yes, come. We have heard the good news of what you are doing. So come and be good news to us, to our neighbors, to our family. And may we be simply able to spot and see when you are at work around us.
and have the ability to shout and say, I see you. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me and receive the benediction. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace. Go. Go in the comfort that God is for you. He always has and he always has been. And today we are saying yes to his forness. Next Sunday, the 27th, we are going to be baptizing people. 11 people who are saying yes. Who are saying, I want to be on the side of what God is doing. I want my life to be a part of that. I want to step into the hard stuff of life because I believe that there's also the good stuff with Jesus too, this resurrection life. So may, I'm going to ask everybody this week to pray for those who are about to be baptized. To pray for them, you'll, you'll meet them and hear some of their stories next week, but pray for them. And may their, your prayer for them also be for you too, to participate in the good life of God that he has for you. Amen? Amen. Mask up and go in peace. <laughs> Bless you all. Bless you all. Thank you.